0: Welcome to Broadway Bullet, Volume 404, for March 18th, 2010. I'm your host, Michael Gilbo, and we've got a lot of great stuff for you. We're going to be hearing from Niku Spoon's Wit, uh, the Clockwork Theatre Company's presentation of GBS, as well as the play company's Enjoy. We're also going to hear tracks from the newly released Finian's Rainbow cast recording, as well as the uh, off-Broadway cast recording of Coraline. So we got some fun stuff for you, and uh, let's get rolling.
1: On the boards.
0: Originally a Japanese play performed in Japan five years ago, Enjoy, is making its trek across the uh, Pacific and... uh, the country, <laughs> so to speak, to make its debut in New York with a fresh translation. The show is called Enjoy, being presented by the Play Company from the 27th of March to the 25th of April, and we have director Dan Rothenberg here to talk about the show and the whole process of uh, putting this together. How are you doing? Good. How are you? <laughs> doing fine. So, uh, s- Japanese play, translated in American, you're, you're directing it, right? That's... Th-
4: that's the essence of it. Yeah. How,
0: how did you come to be hooked up with this show?
4: Uh, I knew the translator a little bit, Aya Ogawa, and I knew Kate Lowell, who runs Play Company. Um, normally, this is actually my first directing project outside of my company in Philadelphia, which is a physical theater company called Pig Iron Theater Company. And right at the moment that I was taking my first uh, leave from the company to do other things in a long time, 14 years. Um, Kate gave me a call. Kate and Lauren, who run the company, gave me a call. And they were talking to different physical theater directors that they had a piece uh, by a Japanese playwright who was also a choreographer who, like me, works with an ensemble of specific actors and writes for them. And they weren't sure what they wanted to do with the piece, but they wanted somebody who had some connection to that kind of work to, to take, a, take a stab at this piece. So So, what is enjoy about? Tell us about the play itself Enjoy is it 's set in a well enjoy is about this this thing that exists in Japan called a manga cafe So a manga cafe doesn 't really have an analog here in the states. Um, basically, what you do is you you can rent a cubicle by the hour. Um, and uh, you can read from you can you can pick from a library of comic books and comic books in Japan manga are not just for kids. Actually,
0: uh, I can think of a parallel in, in the, the United States here, but it doesn't involve comic books. Right. <laughs>
4: <laughs> um, and it's a
0: little messy afterwards.
4: <laughs> well, yeah, and you know, Japan is famous for having love hotels, also for having all these different kind of cubicles for all kinds of things. Um, but uh, in a way, it's not just for there. There are <laughs> sex spaces in Japan that rent by the hour um, and are actually famously really anonymous that all you have to deal with is a vending machine. Uh, and one of Okada's plays is set. Uh, it's actually it's his play about the Iraq War and it's called Five Days in March and it's about two people who meet at a club and they hook up and they spend five days in this pay-by-the-hour deal with the vending machine love hotel and that's and they sort of have a distant awareness of the Iraq war from Tokyo um, so I think he's definitely interested in this in time and mm-hmm. in, in terms of uh, a society where you pay by the hour um, this although okay so here's what happens in the Mon Cafe you uh, pay by the hour you can also use the internet you can smoke you can have some ramen some tea you can uh, sleep in a bean bag and uh Okada's focus in this piece is actually not on the people who use the Manga Cafe, but it's on the people who work there. So uh, part-time workers. And in a way, the play is obsessed with how old can you be and still have a part-time job? Japan had its own... Hmm, How old am I getting? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think it rings very true to... uh, American artists, in particular, I think, Mm -hmm. uh, in terms of the kind of temp work and day jobs that many of us have, I think that means that uh, that connects us to the people in this play really, really quickly. Mm -hmm. Uh, And in terms of how old are you supposed to be before you have made it, before whatever that means uh, for an artist or for anybody. the the people in this play uh, i was i was going to say japan had its own economic boom and its own economic crash about 10 years ago uh and had its own persistent unemployment um so this piece is really about folks who didn't expect to still be in the part-time workforce but are uh and uh their their sense of how other people see them all right how how uh, Okada uh, the the he's known for this work, which is very colloquial, very self conscious, very circular. Um, as you can imagine, if you, if you're trying to think, well, what do you think of me? Do you think this of me? Uh, saying all of those ruminations and tangents out loud becomes this cascade of text. Um, so so really, when I think about what really happens in the play, uh, uh, I kind of think of this as a it's a great nothing happens play. Uh, and I know that Okada has looked at some of the, the Samuel Beckett stuff, although his his work is much less spare. It's really dense. But I think that, you know, in act one, what happens is that somebody asks somebody else, did you really agree to go out on a date with that guy? And that's it but it's 30 minutes Uh, Mm -hmm. and it's 30 minutes of all the leading up to what I thought I was going to say and where she was standing and what she thought I was going to say and what she thought I was talking about. And then, Oh, oh, I wasn't trying to imply this, but I was thinking this other thing. And then I could see from her reaction that she had, was not telling the truth about what she, uh, what, what she claimed that she thought I was going to say. So it's this, all of this, uh, constant feedback loop of imagination, uh, that, uh, that's the the substance of Okada's
0: writing. Now, given that kind of very you know talky existentialism, how was the translation
4: process from Japanese to American? Uh, well, Aya Ogawa is the translator, and uh, she's done a really incredible job because I think the language sounds so contemporary and so off the cuff and so. Um, she, she does an amazing job of not finishing sentences but not making it sound mannered um, and really has a great ear for the kinds of words that we leave out because we just look at the person and make a gesture as mm-hmm. if to indicate. We both know what we're talking about and that sometimes those are things we both know what we're talking about and sometimes those are the things that we're most afraid to, to actually voice. Um, I know that some of the problems are that uh, – some of uh, I and I went to Japan and we met with Okada and we saw the manga cafe that he had written the piece about and we went through the script with him for a couple of days. Did you check out one of the hourly sex vending machines? Uh, yeah, <laughs> I mean that, of course, mm. was paid for by, by the producers uh, and they. Uh, well, just always like, nice um, to have the perks. <laughs> this is the kind of um, awkwardness that happens in the play a lot. Somebody, <laughs> Mention something that upsets the other person. There's long pauses. Um, Where was I actually talking about? About going to Japan and... and Oh, how did the translation happen? So, uh, Japanese, sometimes you don't know if it's first person or third person. And the characters, one of the other formal experiments that Okada does in the piece is that he begins saying, let me tell you a story about this guy. And then he says, the guy was all like this, and then starts doing the voice of the guy. But then the quote goes on for so long that you forget that it was a quote, and the actor becomes the other person. Uh, now, this is especially hard to translate when it's indeterminate whether you're saying he or I. Uh, like Spanish, sometimes mm-hmm. you don't need to put the the um, pronoun in. Um, so I had to make specific choices about when it switches between he and I, Uh That Okada never had to. Um, And then I think it's just the fact that she uh, is the perfect person to do this, having grown up with Japanese parents but in the States and California and lived in Brooklyn for a long time. So I think there's a real Brooklyn feeling to her vocab in the piece.
0: Now, you mentioned that the the original Japanese piece was very colloquial. Does Does that make the translation even harder to try to make it more like, you know, Ebonics, (laughs)
4: I mean, to translate to a contemporary speak here. Well, sure. Also, I mean, when you think about the way that ebonics gets picked up by some segments of the population and not understood by other segments of the population, and uh, I've been thinking a lot about this phrase. That's just how I roll. Mm -hmm. Like, when? Okay, so when did that phrase become a mainstream phrase? And I'm so sure we're gonna have a TV show called That's Just mm-hmm. How I Roll within the next five years, and then it will be a cliché, and no one will want to say it anymore. Um, but uh, that, that phrase is not in the play. Uh,
0: but uh, Well, I would imagine there's several phrases in the Japanese thing that don't have a direct
4: translation that makes sense to us. You know, yeah, this- uh, but I found... Pretty few remnants. The one that we joke about a lot is this one that I uh, said, you know, what I'm mulling over and being such a little poo about. Uh, that's this line from the piece that uh, was so wrong. Was like, well, bleh. I guess in Japan they have uh, this character of the little poo. Mm-hmm. That's like this cute little character that means I'm being a little shit. And uh, but it just we just don't have that. We don't have the little shit character in our in our. Uh, everyday lives. So, yeah, I mean, we're still trying to figure out what, how to do that exact translation. But, yeah, mostly because I don't speak Japanese, I can't really make a comparison. Mm -hmm. Um, but, uh, all I can say is that the language feels comfortable and right and savvy. Um. So,
0: enjoys, uh, being presented by the Play Company. Mm Mm-hmm. And, uh, How's the rehearsal process been with the actors? Have they been adapting to the style? Or? Yeah, no, I mean, they're I, doing a shitty job.
4: <laughs> no, I mean, I'm, I'm having a really good time uh, with the with the cast. Um, I'm trying to think of, of you know. I know this is the Inside Baseball show, so so I'm trying <laughs> to think what, what's what's uh, useful information. I mean. Um, I've made up a funny acting exercise. I've never seen the show Family Guy. And uh, the main acting exercise for this piece is to have two people come out and, as one, together, explain Family Guy to me. And actually, this is a pretty (laughs) complicated... uh, I actually want to make this play now where just groups of people come out and explain Family Guy to the audience. Um, But it leads to a lot of modes, which you never see on stage, actually. It's really rare to see two people come out and they're both telling a story. And the sort of funny trading off which happens of, yes, yes, I know what you're saying. Oh, 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 I want to come in here. There's a lot of Okada, there's a lot of retelling in the Okada text. So that's kind of the the acting research that we're doing. And the other funny thing about explaining something like Family Guy, where there's all this stuff you know, and there's all this, uh, where do you begin? You know, where do you begin to explain the universe of a TV show? I watch Family Guy occasionally, and I don't know how to
0: begin to explain it. Well, right, you start.
4: You say, "Well, there's." You say, "Here's the situation," but it's not quite like that. And then you laugh a little bit to explain why it's funny. Um, And there's a lot like Okada's really got a great nose for those kinds of strange in-between situations in which someone is recounting. Uh, something and the way that they need to move back and forth between a big schematic picture and then giving you details and then giving you commentary um, and that's really the mastery of his writing is the is tracking the way a consciousness works when you start telling someone and especially I mean the, the the play begins with let me tell you this weird story I mean really that's that's what happens and 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 it's actually unclear what the guy meant what what what. What, what the reaction was that he wanted us to have from the story and um, on the one hand that's so not pointed and on the other hand I think that happens every day all the time that we just see somebody we, we say oh I, here's this thing that happened on the subway this weird thing that happened and, and in a way you don't even know when you start telling the story why you think it's weird you get halfway in and then this other thing happens and you start thinking about it and you start thinking how you're being perceived and Okada kind of does an amazing uh, transcription of how our consciousness b- bounces all around to recounting the story, wondering if you're understanding, checking in if you're understanding, saying what you probably think, making sure, cutting off, preempting you also, saying, "Oh well, don't, I don't want you to think that I'm this, that I'm prejudiced, or that I'm trying to be cool, or all those things."
0: Now you said this is your first uh, directing work outside of uh, your company in Philadelphia, right? Yeah. What what is how is
4: the Philadelphia theater scene? Is it pretty easy to keep busy there, or how many people involved? We have more theaters than anywhere else in the country, I believe. This is my I can give my spiel about Mm -hmm. Philly. Uh, Yeah, I'm always urging folks to move to Philly, and I'm always showing them my apartment and saying, "Guess how much I pay? Look how close I am to the center of town." I mean, it's about a quarter as expensive, so it's a place where 30 year old artists can actually own their own home. You know, a lot of my peers own their houses and. Uh, are raising their kids in the city and uh, we have a really great experimental theater scene and then also a large number of regional theaters so there's a lot of back and forth.
0: And a lot of room for actors to play people from the Revolutionary War. And
4: That's true. (laughs) Uh, There are several. uh, As a matter of you're quite right, the Constitution (laughs) Center is a major employer of uh, actors uh, in Philadelphia who play uh, people from the Revolutionary War. There's also the walking tours and something people also don't know as a major employer of actors is that um, I, Philadelphia certifies it's one of the only places that foreign doctors can be certified as U.S. doctors, and uh, there is a large pool of fake patients in Philadelphia. That is, so, there's the, the fake patients uh, are actors, uh, which is a great gig where you can do a few days here, do a few days there. You know, pays twenty dollars an hour or something like that. And
0: but is there a fair amount of professional theater work in in you know to actually earn you know?
4: Oh,
0: yeah. Oh, no, no, yeah, absolutely. Uh,
4: there, you know... I mean, my, mo- most places considered... I know,
0: even most, you know, bigger markets, there's like one or two, you know, theater companies that really do any sort of employment, and the rest is pretty sparse.
4: Oh, I don't outside, have the outside real numbers, Chicago, but I know or... that Philadelphia's in the top three compared to... You know, I think it's... After Chicago comes Philadelphia, and, and I believe more than Boston and more than D.C., I think. Um yeah there's a lot of professional theatre a lot of regional theatre and and lord theater uh at least four large ones in the center of town and then you know another 10 mid-sized ones and then in the surrounding area another two or three like 45 minutes away is people's lighting theater company 45 minutes away delaware theater company so well,
0: well now now everybody's going to flock to philadelphia and it'll be over right not. G- No, i know when we were my, my girlfriend may have take the tour bus around and she's like going and here we're entering the expensive neighborhood the expensive apartments and she and so she's going well how much are they and you know she right, said exactly. what they are I'm, and my girlfriend and i turned each other going these are the expensive apartments yeah <laughs> well, the body of life is a great thing in philly <laughs> All right. So Enjoy is playing uh, at the, from the Play Company. What theater? 59 is 59. Oh, well, that's a, a nice space there. Yeah. And uh, that's March 27th through April 25th. Uh, is there a website people can go to fly, find out more information? Playco.org. All right. And any uh, website for your own theater company where people Oh, my go? theater company is pigiron.org. All right. So, Dan Rothenberg, thanks for coming by and chatting and, and sharing your experience about the play and the, the Philadelphia theater scene. And best of luck. Right on. Thank you. Listening Room. Well, it may be too late to catch the revival of Finian's Rainbow on Broadway. But luckily, they did do a full cast recording uh, put out by P.S. Classics, and we're going to play a song from that for you. We've got The Old Devil's Moon, and this is sung by Cheyenne Jackson and Kate Baldwin. Uh, You can pick up the soundtrack on iTunes, Amazon, and wherever uh, great musical theater albums are sold. On an
3: April night, are forever lost in love. If there is moonlight all about, and there's no moon above. I wonder who thought it up. Something in your eyes I see soon begins bewitching me. It's that old devil that you stole from the skies. It's that. Magic carpet ride Full of butterflies inside You know, Mr. Mahoney, that old devil moon, it's in your eyes, too. It is. Well, it takes two to make a valley legend. I look at you, glory be. Something in your eyes I see soon begins bewitching me. romance too hot to handle stars in the night blazing their light can't hold a candle to your razzle dazzle you got me flying high and wide on a magic carpet ride
0: Again, that was Old Devil Moon from the Finians Rainbow Cast album. And again, get that at iTunes or Amazon or anywhere else. That's from PS Classics. The, the Clockwork Theater is celebrating their fifth anniversary with a play by Canadian playwright GBS. It's going up March twentieth through April 10th. And we've got artistic director of Clockwork, Jay Roloff, as well as Executive Director Harrison Harvey to talk with us about GBS and those funny Canadian writers. <laughs> uh,
5: how are you guys doing? Great. How are you doing? Right, good.
0: So uh, do you want to introduce yourself so people can connect the voice with your name?
5: Sure. Hi, I'm Jay Roloff. Our is director for Clockwork and uh, director for GBS. Harrison Harvey, I'm the executive director for <laughs> Clockwork. I don't think we'll have
1: any trouble telling our voices apart. Yeah.
0: <laughs> so, so where did that really deep, grady voice come from, Harrison?
1: I don't know. You know, my mother would tell you that it's always been there, but I think it's probably gotten a little lower over the years. Yeah, was, about two packs a day. Yeah. And,
0: uh, <laughs> you, you have a future career doing uh, Harvey Firestein, don't you?
1: Seriously, it is. <laughs> it is the number one. I always get. <laughs> yeah. <there to.
0: laughs> <laughs> Got to put the one-man bio-epic together. Yes. <laughs> so so as for GBS, tell us a little bit about, uh, and this stands for something, and I don't think I, could, uh, I think I'll mangle the pronunciation if I say it here. <laughs> sure, I,
5: I might mangle it a little bit, but it, uh, it's, a, it's a disease, a neurological disease uh, called Guillain-Barre syndrome. Um, it, you know, it's the title of the show, uh, but it's not really what the show's about. The show's about the relationships between these two brothers who are sort of uh, reconnecting, possibly reconciling over uh, you know over a trip to the hospital to visit their father who's lying in a coma suffering from GBS Um, but really the play is about as I was just telling you a moment ago it's about communication um, miscommunication the inability to communicate um, which is sort of mirrored in the disease uh, which affects your communication skills and affects your ability to, to communicate so it's kind of paralleled there um, but really, it's, it's, a, it's a fun, <laughs> hilarious, I know it sounds just right hilarious with, <laughs> uh, with this, but uh, it, it's a great play. It's really, really intelligently written, uh, and uh, it's about... Are you these, sure? Yeah.
0: I kid on Canadians a lot. I, I love <laughs> seeing the feedback on the website. We're Canadians!
5: Right? <laughs> I, I know. But it's fun. Yeah, we actually got a chance to uh, meet with Jason Hall for a few weeks. He was sat in on the first couple of weeks of rehearsal, um, made some minor script changes, and sort of uh, helped us with the Canadianness of it all. Um, <laughs> really, really helpful. Great Get some guy. Some A's
0: he- in there. Yeah, yeah. We threw a couple A's in there. <laughs>
5: uh, he helped us with some of the some of the pronunciation. But uh, he's he's back in London now, where he lives. Uh, you know, producing theater and uh, writing new plays. So, uh, how did you find the show in the first place? Well, I mean, we just... Harrison, go ahead.
1: I mean, we go through a process where we read shows all the time and I think that we're constantly looking for something new that hasn't been done a bunch of times before and, you know, we've been getting really into new playwrights and... We just, you know, we, the plays are passed on through other people, and we're lucky enough to some, you know, and there are a lot of plays that we go through, mm-hmm. and we read, uh, you know, all different types of plays. But when we find it, you know, we're, we're, we all make the decision together. There are seven of us, and everyone has a piece. So to find the one play that the seven of us are all, that all, uh, we get behind is rare a lot of times,
5: but when we yeah. find
1: it, we find it.
5: The sort of short story is we found it on the shelf at a right. bookstore, and yeah. it got nice. passed through the channels, and we all really liked it, and it sort of picked up steam. But the reality is, I mean, we read hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of plays nonstop. We're all constantly reading stuff and looking for things that haven't been done, like Harrison said. And, uh, do you take submissions or do you get submissions in? Oh sure, right yeah, yeah, We we do new works. We mm-hmm. we try to do at least a new a new play each year. Um, certainly a, a play that hasn't been done in New York. We we try and do. Uh, on the flip end, what are the
0: wrong? When people send you scripts, what are all the wrong things from from you know the, the some form <laughs> of the layout to the actual play itself? What are like typical mistakes that
1: <laughs> well, you we see? I mean, we look for a very specific thing. So something that has an enormous set, something that has forty people in the cast. 99-year-old vampires. It's like things like that are, you know, we're looking for a certain
5: type. He's not joking. We have actually gotten players about 98-year-old vampires. Yeah, (laughs) Twins. (laughs)
0: twins.
5: (laughs) uh, Have fun
0: casting that, boy. Seriously.
5: Yeah, I mean, you you just (laughs) never know. We accept submissions from anyone and everyone, and it could be, you know, somebody who's written... 20 plays with, you know, moderate success and, and really uh, has honed their craft, or it could be an 11-year-old kid at his kitchen table writing, you know, on his mom's word processor. You never know until you get all the way through it. Right. Uh, but, so, uh, you know, sort of some of the no-nos are, you know, I guess a lot of new playwrights tend to want to be Beckett. <laughs> That That's the biggest thing I can say. It's that... Uh, People like to sort of recycle what they're seeing in, uh, you know, in films these days or in things that have worked in theater in the past. Uh, and we're looking for something original, something that hasn't been told, somebody with a new voice, uh, somebody like Harrison mentioned to you a moment ago, uh, James McManus, been working with him for a few shows, Cherry Smoke and Underground, both New York premieres, uh, Underground was the world premiere, and we've, we feel like he's got sort of a unique voice and writes plays about things that plays don't often get written about. Uh, which is exciting
1: to us. I think we're also looking for playwrights who are Open to working with you know working with their play, and if we read something and we're interested, and there are things that can be changed about it. I mean, Jay and our producing director Owen Smith worked with David Ives and did a whole new version of one of our one of the plays we did, Don Juan, Chicago. It's I think it's a lot about the the open mindedness. Can I say open mindedness of the playwright? And <laughs> you can say whatever you want. You know, they're they're you know they're able to you know, form, you know, conform to what we're looking for a little bit. Yeah, you know? yeah,
5: I think that we, we feel that that's something that we can offer playwrights. I mean, we, right. we you know, have sort of literary minds and uh, sort of uh, think we understand how, how uh, what makes plays uh, effective and, and cleaner and better and tighter. And so far, most of the playwrights we've worked with have been into working on them, uh, workshopping them over either through a reading series or through a, an extended rehearsal process. And so far, it's been really great i mean it's it's nothing like sitting down with a playwright that you you know respect and admire and watching him or her Mm -hmm. sort of change things based on your input and it's great i mean somebody like david ives sitting sitting around a table with david ives and saying you know uh, i'm not so sure this works here and having him say you know you're right it makes you feel pretty good
0: (laughs) So this is your fifth anniversary with Clockwork? Yes, sir. Yeah. You know, this has been kind of a turbulent time, economy, and a lot of shifts over this past five years. Not sure what you mean. <laughs> <laughs> As, has your, have you found your mission or, or your, your goals changing over the, from your, what your original statement was to what you're at now?
5: Not really. Our statement is about is about the, the kind of work that we want to produce. We have found some some of the uh, financial elements have been changing. Uh, some of the, you know, we try and be a little more sensitive to it. Uh, but we something that is in our mission is we always keep our ticket prices really low. We don't we don't think that theater is just for the super elite rich people who can afford one hundred and eighty dollars on a ticket. I mean, our ticket price doesn't go over twenty five dollars, which. Speaking from two two poor guys sitting in this little booth right here, we, we could afford that. Right. Um, so we try and keep it really, really cheap and, and give all kinds of discounts and student discounts and senior discounts and make it cheap like that. But, uh, you know, we we've, we've felt the pinch yeah. budgetarily
1: absolutely I mean I think it also has to do a lot with planning I mean we've been doing this same thing for five years I mean you know we switch it up here and there we switch up where things fall but we always have two shows we always have a reading series we always have our benefit and I think that that you know that kind of planning and we you know it took us a while to get started when we first started you know we were so tentative to to do anything I think that that, you know it's because even to send out our first mailing, I mean, we gave in what, like twenty bucks each. We put together, you yeah. know, some stamps, some paper, sat around the table and licked envelopes and hoped for the best. And I think that we still have some of those same founding members. Sure. I mean
5: we're we're a grassroots company, you know, with yeah. uh we're not a we're not mm-hmm. big budget uh, so most of our most of our money comes from individual donors and uh, private foundations mm-hmm.
0: yeah you know one thing I've never asked anybody that I've wondered is you know with this you know crazy economy i'm wondering if there has been any upside in terms of, I know, the biggest expense, or maybe you have some others, I see you nodding, so hold on to that thought. Um, space, the the performance space is always like a number one thing. Has there been any downward pressure, any movement on on venues in terms of, because I know real estate in general in New York has
1: kind of had a rough thing. Should so yeah. that have been a benefit? I mean, I, I think that, I mean, there are sometimes there are more slots to choose from because <laughs> there are less companies, but, I, you know, it's funny, we... Uh, you know, we're a resident company in Theater Row, and there are other resident companies at Theater Row. And to tell you the truth, we were contracted so far out yeah. that, you know, our contract is just ending now that we had before the recession and, and all this We're in a bit of a unique
5: situation with our, our, our uh, residency at, mm-hmm. at Theater Row. Um, but something that I can tell you is we feel like there is a slight benefit, a sort of a, a push towards off-Broadway and off-Broadway theater. Yeah because, like I was saying, people can't afford to go to see Broadway shows necessarily. Um, and, you know, you've got these big hits off-Broadway right now, like A Lie of the Mind or Clybourne Park and Playwrights Horizons and The New Group are constantly doing good work for cheap Atlantic. You know, these places are doing work that's on par with what you could see in a Broadway house for a third the price. And we're doing it for an eighth of the price. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, yeah, I mean, we, we like to think that that there is a potential to sort of capture some of that audience and sort of make the statement that theater doesn't have to be that expensive. I mean, you pay 15 bucks for a movie, why should you pay that much more for a play?
0: Right. Mm-hmm. So, um, back to uh, your current production, GBS. Uh, any other uh,
5: parting shots you'd like to get out about the show? Uh, it's it's the best play you've ever seen. <laughs> <laughs> Who's in it? Well you said, said it to
0: you said it to two hands. So yeah,
5: we've got uh, we've got uh, two incredible actors, Jason Jacoby and Curran Conner. Um, and we've worked with uh, Jason before, but this is our first uh, time working with Curran. They're they're incredible. They're amazing. And uh, you know, sort of uh, without getting too in depth, our uh, the kind of theater that we need to do requires that we sort of have actors who sing the same song and uh, it's not a musical. <laughs> uh, who who speak the same language and who... who uh, Canadian. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. who speak... They have to be totally fluent in Canadian.
0: Was it hard transcribing it from Canadian
5: into... American? Well, like you said, we took out a lot of the A's. Uh, <laughs> actually, actually, the show was uh, published in London, so there was a lot of uh, uh, British spellings and everything in there, you know, throwing, throwing O-U-R's in mm-hmm. there where there shouldn't be any... But uh, but anyway, our actors are really great, and the kind of theater that we want to do depends and relies completely on our actors, and we're really, really fortunate to have these two guys. uh, They're they're amazing to watch, and they work really well with one another, so we're we're thrilled to have them.
1: And this kind of play, you know, you need guys who are going to pull... I mean, it is a funny story, and these two guys just pull it out and lighten up this, you know, could be a heavy, heavy story, but... These two guys, it's, it's like a joke the whole time. Yeah, you know? yeah, I, and, I mean, uh, <laughs> uh, and, you know, and it's quick paced, and I mean, these yeah. two guys just hit it. They, yeah, they just kill hit it. it. They, they kill it. Very lucky.
0: All right, and again, this runs March 20th through April 10th. Uh, is there a website people can go to easily for?
1: www.theclockworktheater.org. Tickets available at ticketcentral.com. All right,
0: so uh, Jay Roloff and Harrison Harvey, parentheses Firestein. Thanks for coming by.
5: No problem. We can also provide Harrison's personal email address if anybody wants to get in touch. That's, right. That's uh That's Harrison Harvey. <laughs> no, no. I'll do voiceover. Sure.
1: All right. Thanks for coming by. The Thank you. Line.
0: Chickaboom slash Ghostlight Records has released the new off-Broadway cast recording for Coraline, and we're going to let you hear a snippet of that. We got the song When We Were Young and Restless, which is sung by Francis Jew and January Lavoie. So you can pick that up on iTunes or Amazon, and uh, be sure you do. All right, here, let's take a listen.
2: When we
6: were young and trod the boards Our cardboard lars played silver chords and flowers were flung. We gave our all
3: In rooms we flew, we swung. Princes came to see me as Ophelia. Me too. I made Portia mine.
6: You said each line. Right on cue,
3: we bounced about with cardboard swords when we were young and trod the boards. We trod the boards, lovey.
0: Again, that's when we were young and trod the boards. That's from Coraline from shikaboom slash ghostlight. Get it at iTunes or Amazon.
1: On the boards.
0: Niku Spoon is presenting Wit from April 7th to the 25th. It's the Pulitzer Prize winning play by Margaret Edson and uh, dealing with the matters of life and death and, uh, and the comma between, as I was told, between him. <laughs> and we have got director Alvaro Sena Hello. and actress Anouk Dutrut. Thank you. <laughs> Here with us. Did I, did I mangle those names?
3: You did. <laughs> did.
6: Pretty
0: good. <laughs> so why don't you go ahead and tell us your name and so people can connect that, the name with the voice.
6: So, my name is Alvaro Senna, and I'm the director of the show, and this is a nuke.
2: And I'm one of the actresses
6: of the show. <laughs> well, to get started, first off, just tell us a little bit about WIT. Okay, the story is about this woman that it's uh, she's an English professor, and she's very tough, and she's, and she finds out she has cancer, and she's, um dealing with all these things, and, and in the show, it's all about her journey, her past and her present, and she's a very tough woman, so it's not um, easy for her. And, uh, and she's teaching, she's dealing with this uh, holy sonnets of the poet John Donne, and interesting enough, the, poem, the poems, they talk about life and death, so it's a very um, touching subject. And tell us a little bit about your your role, Anouk?
2: I'm actually doing um, uh, different roles. I'm playing a, a student at some point that uh, representing uh, a classroom uh, where she used to teach, and um, a tech, um, a medical tech, as well as understudying for the role of the nurse.
6: So when did the show win the Pulitzer? Do you know? Um, I think it was one two thousand um I'm not sure. I would say
2: 2007, but I'm not. I'm not 100 sure. Yeah.
0: <laughs> so now that you're kind of into the meat of the show, what what is it about the show that you think garnered the, the Pulitzer Award?
6: Um, well, it's a pretty famous um, place, so you're very. I'm very nervous, you know. <laughs> but I'm. I'm all like concentrating my actors. I'm very blessed. I have a great cast, and I think they they're doing a great job. Uh, but um, the show, it's a. Every time I read, I have more ideas. So when I was uh, told by Stephanie, the artistic director, that I was going to direct, and I start reading the script, and I start having this idea and dream about, and I was like, okay, okay. And then I got in touch with her, I was like, okay, thank you very much, but um, now I can't sleep because it's a lot. You know, it's a it's a beautiful um, it's a beautiful piece, and um, and um, they 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 they'll do like amazing. It's all about. Uh, moments, it's uh, feelings, and uh, that's what I, I like, as an actor, and this is my first, uh, my uh, directorial debut, so it's, uh, as an actor, that's what I'm looking for. So now I know why she won the prize, because it's very, uh, it's very hard, subjects, it's very, it's very, um, um, deals a lot with emotions, and so it's, uh, I'm very interested, I'm very Curious to see how it would look like. It's gonna be like a modern piece, kind of, but it'll will be would will be beautiful.
0: <laughs> so, where are you from?
6: I... I'm originally from Brazil. Okay. Yes, um, and I got here probably ten years ago. So, uh, in a nuke
2: I'm uh, half Swiss, half Spanish.
0: Oh, that's okay. That's yeah. an interesting combination. <laughs> <laughs> how long have you been here?
2: Uh, over seven years now. <laughs> Yeah.
0: So, w- what about the New York theater scene? Drew you and kept you both to it.
2: I'm actually quite new to the New York theater scene, so to speak. I've I've done much more films than theater, uh, so um, I've always you know wanted to act, and that's why I came to New York. And uh, this is a great experience, and and you know the cast is really amazing. They're really good, so it's, it's very inspiring to work with them.
6: Theater, it's, uh, it's in New York. It's, um, and I remember when I got here first, it was um, a long time ago. And then uh, I was brought to Broadway. And then I saw this whole thing, the lights and the shows. And then I was like, okay, I think I have to be here. <laughs> I want mm-hmm. to be here. So then I went back to Brazil. I finished college. And then I came back to study. So, uh, and then I got involved with Nicholas Spoon uh, since 2001. And I'm a company member, and um, I've, I'm happy and blessed enough. So, so, what is the theater scene like in Brazil? The theater in Brazil, it's uh, it's like, it's all, in São Paulo. That's the biggest city in Brazil, and Rio de Janeiro. That's where you find the um, the most like interesting things. Even Broadway shows they transfer to Brazil now, so they go to São Paulo. So you you can see a lot of Broadway shows there now, but the theater there is more. Um, it's more um it's more um, it's more open since we don't have much money to do like huge production or visual effects or anything so you have to use your uh, creativity to to give the idea to to pass the point like oh this is what it's what i'm trying to say and the audience would get it but it's more um i would say more open more uh, of um um like we see, a, we do a lot of uh, European place. Mm-hmm. so it's not much of a close, like, you know, like a room, or it doesn't take uh, the place there, it's not much of a, okay, this takes place in an apartment, it's more open, and we go like crazy and wild, it's not, you know, it, so it's more, um, it's more, uh, I would say maybe, I don't know, like, since it's it's not much money involved, so you have to work a lot. What's cultural acceptance like? Do a lot of people like going to see live theater? Oh and... yeah, then we have the same thing. When you do theater in Brazil, it's pretty much like, you know, actors, they don't get paid. It's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's everywhere, you know, oh. like it's, they don't get enough, so they have another job. So we do have actors that uh, work as an you know waiter, and then they go do theater at night, mm-hmm. so we do have that. But uh, what is big in Brazil, it's the TV, you know so uh if you want to make money it's you go and do t v it's super and in like here, if you want to make money, you do yeah. movies you know so yeah. it's pretty much uh it's uh you know t v make money you know theater it's just uh, a hobby or you know but we do have beautiful like you know talented actors that they are doing both, but you do uh uh, soap operas, TV to pay your bills, and then you do theater to you know to build a career.
0: So, mm-hmm. Nick, what was your uh, kind of acting experience before you moved to New York seven years ago?
2: Not much. Not. <laughs> uh, tell you the truth, I, I'm actually a lawyer by training. Oh, okay. Yeah. So I was um, I went to law school in London, then Paris, and then uh, I started auditioning and acting while I was in Paris. While in law school, I and then I worked in London. And then I figured, you know, it's, it's life is too short. I have to do what I want to do. I always wanted to act. I've never really had the guts. I think actors and the, the theater and and the acting field is is a field that is um, that you need a lot of guts to actually, you know, do it. So. Um, so
0: your colleagues, when you when you told them you wanted to act, how to, how did the legal <laughs> profession take it? You know,
2: actually, there, <laughs> there was an article that published uh, about me on the Huffington Post last year. May, May last year and uh, about all my acting different gigs I've done in terms of different films and, and credits etc and uh, the last line of that article was you know I'm ready to quit <laughs> my legal job and everybody at work actually read it uh, randomly and uh, the morning after uh, I was it was it was quite awkward but um, uh, you know ultimately I was waiting for the green card which I got so uh, it, I think it's a long process for foreigners to actually get you know the, the right papers because I was on a on a special visa as, as a lawyer, but now I can get actually uh, paid as an actor. So that's that's just like amazing.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so um, as a lawyer, is there a sp- specialty you have field-wise?
2: Uh, in private international law, mainly. I'm, I mean, I'm qualified um, in New York. I'm licensed in New York State, uh, and I have a law degree from like common law and a civil law degree. But I do, uh, I work for a non for profit a, p- a peace organization. And uh, we have offices around like fifty one countries around the world, and I sort of supervise do a lot of you know setting up offices, closing offices, a lot of corporate contracts uh, and I do pro bono entertainment a lot for a lot of my friends as well um, that have theaters et cetera and i i was I read uh, in your website that actually you you helped produce um uh, a music uh i mean a, 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 a CD for and all the proceeds were going to the in yeah. Haiti. I thought that was amazing. I'm sitting on a board uh, of orphanage international as well, and, we, and and we're doing a lot of good things there as well.
0: Yeah, James Barber came in and we yeah. recorded a song, and and it's out. People should check it out. Walk with yeah. me, but like. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> so one one kind of you know final thing. I know Nicky Spoon um, traditionally is a, often incorporated. Uh, disability actors into their projects and really try to make their shows accessible for the disabled and I'm wondering kind of does wit follow the same kind of
6: yes it does um, we try to at first we try to cast all the members in the company members of the way the of uh, point. points pretty big and in, in and very different. So we do, yeah, we try to hear voices that are usually not heard, and uh, we try to make the impossible possible. So we do have uh, uh, actors that are, you know, they are in a wheelchair, and we put them in roles that you've never seen. So uh, we do have that, and we also work with um, ASL, American Sign Language, and this show will have two performances that it's it's, uh, all about, you know, for them, for the deaf. uh, community, and then um we usually do every two years like a coach sh- a co play show, which is two actors playing one character, one speaks, and the other one it's uh, doing the American sign language but um yeah so w- point is a brilliant company it's uh, it 's just um if you had the chance to you know to to read the story that stephanie's story is, the niqui story it's it 's beautiful that 's how she created a company in the so that's it. Uh, yeah, we try to cast, and you try to to leave the door open for everybody.
0: Yeah, and Stephanie Bart- Barton Farkish was on uh, a couple of years ago. I mean, she's been on a couple times. But the first time she was on, if people want to search the archives of Broadway Bullet, she talks
6: about the whole origin of Niku Spoon. So mm-hmm. people can still check that out too. Yeah, it's a uh, it's a very touching story. It's like it's so it's beautiful. It's nice.
0: So, WIT will be playing from April 17th through the 25th, and uh, is there a website people can go to for more information? It's uh, Spoontheater.org. Okay.
6: Yes, and um, and go see the show. It's a mm. beautiful, it would be a beautiful show. I have a great cast. Stephanie is amazing. Um, all my cast, I, you know, I can go on and on and on, but it's uh, they are amazing. It would be a modern virgin and, um, and if, you're, if you want to see a well-written script, um, beautiful acting, you go see it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> all right.
0: Well, um, Alvaro Sena yes. and Anouk truth. I, I would well,
2: totally support this. I mean, the actors are amazing. Our, <laughs> our director knows exactly what he's doing. And, uh, it, you know, it's very exciting. It's very exciting for all of us. And it's, ultimately, I think it's, it's a play that people are going to walk out and, and learn something you know and, and really like have this 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 feeling that wow I mean maybe today I'm gonna do something different w-
6: what I love most about wit it's just that gives you the uh, the chance of a second time like a second chance that's you it's a very strong show it is it is, um, is uh, set up sometimes but at the end you live like you know comforted like it's very feeling good show so it's worth it mm-hmm.
0: All right. Well, thanks so much for stopping by. Thank and, you. Uh, Thank best you. of luck with the run. Thank thanks. you very much.
2: Curtain Call.
0: That wraps up Volume 404 for March 18th, 2010. Uh, again, if you're looking for more information on any of those shows, you can go to BroadwayBullet.com and find the show notes for 404 for some links. Uh, It was a lot of fun. we got a lot of great stuff coming up. We're going to be back on April 1st with a new episode, No Joke. First and third Thursday of each month, uh, getting close to probably doing a lot of Tony coverage, so you'll want to hang on board for that. And for those of you who have been asking – We're still waiting for a release date on the No More Revivals BMI CD. Uh, They're taking a long time getting the liner notes and artwork ready. Who would have thought that uh, I got the recording done faster than the liner notes? Anyway, it's going to be exciting. It's well worth the wait. But uh, I've actually been getting several emails a week on this, so I thought I'd address it. Um, Again, I'm your host, Michael Gilbo, and thanks for hopping on board the Broadway Bullet.
6: The hairs were on
3: And I'm in the can. Actually, the barfet thing comes from my whole life. People
4: just.
3: Throwing vulture, so it didn't take
0: much, though, to propose. Um, yes. Unpackage those things with the audience and explore them a little bit. So, a little more about our brand new theater and business arts major. I know what most theater programs are like, and I've talked to thousands of artists. All of this told me that a new style of theater major was needed. Theater majors can get a pretty good arts education just about anywhere, but most programs do very little to prepare actors, directors, playwrights, technicians, producers, etc. to manage their careers. When you go into the arts, you are your own business, and you need to manage that to strategically plan for your career to grow.